you're coming in here and telling these kids this is how you do things. This is how you have proper sex, like all kinds of sex, all, all kinds of different kinds, right? Like that's what's happening right now in our schools so that we create more irresponsible fathering, which creates more babies, which creates more abortions. Like it's literally the industry that's giving sex ed is giving the death blow to the babies that are created and it's putting money in people's pockets. I'm telling you, there's freaking CEOs and like there's people rolling in cash because of how many babies have been killed. And it's just fun and games for them. Like they're just making cash hand over fist. And so, but it's all goes down to the devaluing of the family unit. Welcome to Contentious Talks, a weekly podcast where we talk to influencers, celebrities, politicians, and everyday people to show that we all have unique opinions, and that's a great thing. I'm your host, Ryan Malinowski, and today we're talking to Blaze Foray. How you doing today, Blaze? I'm doing good. I'm in a contentious mood, so it's cool, going to be a good time. Um, I think I'm an everyday American, so I think I'll fit into that, that category, <laughs> everyday person. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So tell me a little bit about yourself. In these politics real quick, this would be a great little segue into the story because what happened during that season, Ryan, was we're there, we're becoming pretty influential in the um, entrepreneurial community. And I don't mean like a big deal. I just mean like you know, anybody that's pulling together 100 plus people for these type of small business yeah. events. Uh, and man, we weren't rolling by any means. Actually, we weren't making any money doing it. And uh, sometimes we thought we should have been. And our friends were kind of like, why aren't you guys like charging more? We just we just didn't understand a lot of things at that time as far as, you know, business sure. and what we could have been doing. But um, anyway, we were scraping by. I was actually working at a coffee shop at the time. I had stopped traveling and preaching and didn't know if I had any gifts besides like pulling shots of coffee. <laughs> and uh, so I kind of reverted back to my 18 year old job. And um, my wife, though, she was uh, she was teaching some um, some classes for photography, you know, get, helping us get by doing that. But um, anyway, it was 2015. And, you know, what was happening in late 2015, um, Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton and during this whole season, you know, I had grown up in Texas, so I was a Republican, parents were Republicans, like very outspoken. And that was another part of my kind of evolution at the time in 2013 to 2016 was really just trying to also be open-minded about any other opinions that I held so deeply that maybe I was wrong about. And um, so I, you know, I had been anti-Obama. It's like, you're not just like a Republican. It's like you had to be anti-Obama, you know? And that's like a whole different level of Republican, right? right? That's like Tea Party. And um, and I think in 2013, I let go of that, 2012-ish. Um, and actually part of that was because of my mentor at the International House of Prayer, um, guy from Europe who, he was from Amsterdam, had gotten his citizenship. He was a black guy and he got his citizenship in the United States. And so he was not like this ultra red Republican because he didn't grow up here. He had to get his own citizenship. So he had a lot of, he actually was probably more of a patriot than a lot of people because he had to go through his citizenship. And mm -hmm. so he's like, dude, you guys have no idea how incredible your country is. I'm right. Like, You're right. I actually don't. And he's like, I had to take a test to get this thing. Um, but also being, you know, being a black guy, had a different perspective on life, different experience. And then uh, being from Europe, had a totally different mindset on certain things as far as healthcare and just different things. So sure. um, so it was always interesting to have conversations with him. He's like, dude, you are way too right wing. You need to like think about what you're saying right now. He would, he would always like say those type of things. And I was like, okay. So it kind of finally clicked. Like maybe I need to listen more about that too. So anyway, kind of let go of my extreme biases in 2012, 2013 politically. And, uh, which made me less like, it made me actually less, um, biased against somebody like Obama. And it made me more open to hear what the person said. And maybe there's 
good views in there. Maybe there's something I'm missing. So anyway, that was all going on during that season. Fast forward 2015 to 2016 um, while we're living in Asheville. And suddenly the election cycle hits and Hillary Clinton gets up to bat. Donald Trump gets up to bat. And it probably was, it wasn't my ultra right wing side either. What it was, was my hunger for truth. I like, at least that's what I would say it was. And I used to do a lot of research, um, back in 2008, 2009. Um, I started researching, you know, I probably won't go down this rabbit hole in this conversation, but, uh, I started researching 9-11. I started researching like, the Iraq war, started researching all these things that I just realized that like what we were told was probably not exactly. And, and I didn't have like the exact opinion of what I thought happened and all these things, but I just started to realize that stories didn't line up and you'd have like a thousand page reports written just to kind of confuse people and basically take you back to the conclusion that the media, that the news told you. And I'm not just talking about CNN. I'm talking Fox. I'm talking all of them. Here's the story. Here's a couple different sides of it, but we're all got to believe it was happening this way. So, um, those were things that I had really researched years before that I'd also set aside. But when Hillary Clinton came back up, uh, to become president, something in me was just like, okay, of course I'm going to be open, but I, I've researched too much about the Clinton foundation and about like their political history to, it's not a matter of being open-minded. It's just like what I've researched shows me like, this is a crime family. This is not a good situation. And so I started to redig into it, came across some new researchers, um, that were more libertarian, not necessarily strong, right, right wing, a lot of minority researchers that I follow. Um, so there was a lot of things that I was digging into at the time where I was going, this is not good. Well, the other option was Donald Trump. And so I hadn't started like promoting Trump yet because I hadn't even landed on what I thought. It was just that I saw Hillary. So I started, you, you got to think at this time, my wife and I have one of the biggest Instagram accounts in, in the most liberal city in the Southeast. And, um, you know, we're basically the people that run these events and stuff. All these people know about us. And I just start being my contentious self. And goodness gracious, it was like, it hit the fan, bro. Like I just, all I really, what I did was I started asking questions because I saw people, all my friends online, like all, all of my uh, friends in Asheville just were posting things about how terrible, like Republicans were and how they can't imagine that somebody would like not vote for Hillary. Like it was just so odd. The, the hatred that I sensed or the vitriol just, it was just so, it was so odd to me. Yeah. Like the people that I was trying to be open-minded toward, toward were so close minded about anything outside of that, of that. And I, and all of a sudden, Ryan, I realized that when I left the ministry in 2012 that I had been a part of, which that's a whole different story, but, um, I won't go into that, which I've actually made great reconciliation with that ministry. Um, I have Kansas city. Um, but, but at the time, what I sensed from some of the people there was so intensely like, um, closed off to what I had to say and not really the top leaders, but most of like the, just the friends there, they were just like, Oh my gosh, you're so deceived. Like we're not talking to you or you're crazy or like I, it was basically what the exact same thing that I felt when I started mentioning any question about Hillary Clinton, not being like the best person for the job. Like I wasn't even promoting a candidate yet. I was just saying like, Hey, Hillary Clinton and, uh, the Benghazi thing. And this is some, some details. Like, what do you guys think about this? And it was like, people were like, Oh my gosh, how dare you? Yeah. You know, what are you? You want a rapist Donald Trump racist to come at all? I'm like, dude, when did he become that? Like just <laughs> this last year or something? Like, I didn't even say that. I'm just saying like, are we going to make this person the president? And, uh, I realized that, you know, that, and this can be on both sides. This can happen on the right wing for sure. 
but my experience was definitely different. It was from it was from the left wing when I was actually trying. Honestly, man, at the time I was trying to be left wing. Like if you can say if you can say it like that, I was wasn't that I was I was just trying to like be open to it. Sure. And um, man, I had the craziest conversations, but uh, but man, it like they really came at us, and my wife got the brunt of it, even though she was not political at all. Um, you know, and I really feel for her. I mean, she's a warrior, but I mean, she had built this whole thing. You know, we'd only been married for two years and I was not political when we got married at all. And then all of a sudden the election comes around and she's like, wait, what? You're like really into this? And I'm like, yeah, babe, look at this. You know, and, and honestly, like through lots of conversations, my wife, it's not like she's like this strong, like uh, right wing person by any means, but it's always nice to have somebody that's not exactly on the same page of you that you can hash things out with. Sure. So she would always ask me great questions. We'd always have great conversations and she would come to similar conclusions as me. And then some things, you know, not, but, um, but anyway, man, it really, it ended up hurting our business pretty bad. Um, and you know, cancel culture is real. And, uh, so yeah, that, that just sucked really bad for us. Lost all our friends. Um, I mean, literally people that I had great conversations with, very open-minded conversations with, like good relationships with, literally just ghosted me. Like, and I and, and the things, the type of things that I would post, I'd be like, hey guys, you know, we all need to make sure that we care about each other through this election season. Like, some people absolutely hate Donald Trump. Some people absolutely hate uh, Hillary Clinton. Actually, we shouldn't hate either, but we just need to take an honest look at both sides. And wherever people land, that should be okay. You know, things like that. Right. Like, that's that's okay. Like, that, right. that should be okay. And these people are like, oh, my God, you hate gays. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Like, I didn't say anything about that. Or like, like if you go with this platform, then therefore, da-da-da-da-da. And I was like, holy crap, this is literally the most religious movement I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Like, these are the type of people that crucified Jesus, like, for asking a question. Like, like the people that want to be the most open-minded or tout themselves as the most open-minded, open-hearted people can sometimes become the most like hateful. And I was like, there is something, this is, this is psycho. Like, so anyway, we, we basically shut down the business, man. And, um, and it was around the same time we actually got pregnant and, um, we, uh, we decided around that time, just our priorities changed immediately. We were like, you know what? These people all hate us now that we thought were going to be our friends for like the next decade. And, um, those aren't the type of people we want to be friends with anyway. So I'm glad it got exposed because if you have a differing opinion, then, you know, suddenly you're anathema. So let's just go live close to your family. Let's have these kids in a little small town called Greenville and let's start, start over. And so we did. And, um, that was, a. and for me, man, I, it wasn't my first rodeo. Like I, you know, like when I left Team Andy to go go to IHOP Kansas City, um, not main leaders, but like some people there were very against IHOP and very against anything like charismatic Christianity that I was into. And so I got talked about when I made that first leap. Then when I left IHOP to get into the grace movement, I got talked about. And so, so for me, it was like, oh, whatever. Like I'm, I'm just mentioning my opinion and it's causing our friends to dislike us. This is normal for me. My thin, my, my skin had become thick by that time. And, uh, so it didn't really affect me too much, but my wife, it was, it was tough, man. It was just like, I felt so bad because, you know, some of these people that were, we thought were just our great friends, just stopped talking to her, you know, just, I don't know, man, it was just like, it was rough, but you know, we both, we talk about it now and how much we've grown through it and how much we're thankful for that season. Our marriage actually, like became so strong because of that. And, uh, you know, and here we are a few years later and now I'm a very outspoken Trump supporter. Um, I've actually, yeah, I'm very outspoken Trump supporter. Um, and you know, some of the people that actually used to, you know, hate the stuff I posted about Hillary Clinton now actually agree with me on some stuff about Trump. So it's interesting the way things can come full circle when you're just honest and genuine, you know, um, with yourself and in the midst of it, man, at the end of the day, you know, there's truth and love and you can't have one without the other. That's possible. You can be right on everything, but you can suck at caring about people, but you can also think you're loving everybody 
And if you don't have a love for truth, then you can end up hurting people that, um, because you think you're like doing the right thing by just agreeing with everybody and not ruffling people's feathers. And so sure. Pause on my talking there, but that's, uh, there's my 30 minute spiel. <laughs> yeah. So, um, all this, you know, all this stuff for me intersects, uh, Ryan, it really does. It all kind of converges uh, together because when I look back at, um, it was 28, no, 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 not 2018. I was 18. So this was like 1999 or something, 19 or 2000, um, 2000, 2001. I was taking a college course, um, my senior year of high school at a local community college. It was just a government course down there at Collin County Community College. And I was sitting in that course and the guy, you know, the government teacher was the professor or whatever. He was just talking and wasn't really espousing any beliefs one way or the other. He actually did a pretty good job of that in the course. He just would share things and not necessarily go on like his own political rants. But I remember he was talking about, uh, was talking about the Supreme Court. He was talking about, he talked about Roe v. Wade and abortion. And while I was sitting in the class, um, I kind of had a, uh, uh, I just had like a spiritual experience um, and nothing crazy, but it was just like God spoke to me while I was sitting in that class about abortion and about being a voice for the voiceless to end abortion. And, um, you know, it wasn't a church service with great uh, charismatic music or like, you know, nothing like that was going on. I was just sitting in this class and it was just like, boom, my heart just was struck. And um, I was like, okay, I want to, whatever I can do to help, I want to be a part of that. And um, so anyway, over the years, especially that 2012 to 2015 timeframe where I was really trying to be more open-minded to um, just a Democrat mindset or whatever. Um, I kind of had to shelf that issue because no matter which way you turn it, and I watch a lot of Christians try to turn it and I'm open to their conversation about it. But like when I really look at it, it's, uh, like, don't get me wrong here. Like, if you're just talking platforms, the platform's easy to figure out which one is going to actually be, like, for not killing babies at all, you know? And then the one that's, like, we'd like to maybe reduce the amount of babies that we kill, like, um, in the womb. Um, there's two different platforms, and one's more for pro-life and one is not. Um, now, you can become a more progressive thinker, progressive Christian and be like, okay, well, we're going to be pro-life, we've got to be pro-life on all sides. Um, like what about once the kids too, you know, now they're in a cage and the, at the border wall, like, um, and you know, that's a whole other su- subject. I mean, um, uh, immigration, you know, but anyway, you like in those, but those things are a lot more those things are a lot more can be debated about how to take care of the living. Um, but when there's a, when there's all the way up to the nine month period, it, I don't think it should be debated on what should be done to the, that, um, child from up to nine months, uh, as far as killing it. Now, if you don't think it's a person, if you think it's a clump of cells up to a certain point or whatever, all those things can be, I mean, are debated, but most people are agreeing more with, you know, just because of the science, the science and technology of like being able to watch the development of a child in the womb is kind of pretty incredible. You know, if you had a, if you had a, um, transparent belly, um, just walking around and that sounds silly, but if you had a transparent belly walking around for nine months, nobody would kill the child because it's too horrific to watch. Um, and, and you find that. I mean, having kids actually, you know, changes a lot of your thoughts on that too. But anyway, long story short, that really struck me years ago. Now, I also get the the, the people's aversion to republicanism as it's been espoused over the years. Like, I am not a Bush Republican. Um, 
like when I look at the Bush family, I'd say the Bush family is as much of a Bush crime family as the Clinton crime family. And I feel like that's becoming more um, understood as you kind of like, it's like, how does this guy get in office and suddenly um, do more than any president like just in his first couple years, actually get things done. And then when you look at like, you know, like there's, there's some like, there's conservatives things that happened under Bush, but the things that happened, when I look at what happened under Bush, I just see the Patriot Act, which was like a total like pillaging of the American constitution and like the right to privacy and the freedom of the American people. I mean, I feel like the the founders would roll in their graves thinking that this is like conservatism or this is like, so anyway, that's a whole nother thing. But, uh, but like, this is why Trump is such a different bird. He's like, he really kind of, and this is why people will say like, well, he's not a Republican, you know, he's been a Democrat. I think that um, the Republican party has been co-opted just like the Democratic Party. And, I mean, you can go, everybody can go read my website, blazeparade.com. You can get on politics and news and you can read all of my kind of um, views on this stuff. I'm definitely what people would call like, well, he's just a good old conspiracy theorist, which, you know, now that we know that Jeffrey Epstein um, was running a sex trafficking ring that people like Prince Andrew were a part of, we should all be conspiracy theorists just a little bit, at least, you know, everybody needs to find their local conspiracy theorist friend and like apologize, you know, for the last 20 years. Um, but anyway, there's there, you know, when you find things like that going on, you're like, well, maybe what else is going on that they're lying to us about? Um, and, and I also get that Republicans have ran on the platform of pro-life and not done a thing about it. So people could easily say like, Oh, well, this is just another one of those things where the president goes to an evangelical church, lets them pray for him, says he's going to save the babies so he can get a reelection and get the evangelical vote. I get that line of thinking. I get that argument. It makes sense. I just don't think that's what's happening this time. Um, If you look at the rhetoric of the president in regards to the unborn, and this might just be because it's the style that he talks anyway, but he's just so blunt about it. And so blatantly um, pro-life and for unborn children, it just seems a lot different than just talking about like, you know, than just mentioning it every now and then. Um, Then the fact that you actually have the ability to do something about it. Like some people say, well, the Supreme Court's really not the answer. Like overturning Roe v. Wade's not the answer. It's like, Oh, it's not. So the answer is not to make, let's just say as Christians, we believe that it's bad to kill babies in the womb. Let's say even some non-Christians believe that that's like a bad thing. So let's just say you believe it's a bad thing. All right, cool. So like pragmatically, what's the first step we should take if it's actually a very negative thing? Should we change the law on it? No, 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 don't change the law on it. Let's just leave the law intact that we can have centers set up where people can go get these babies killed, even though we all know it's very bad. It's like, okay, well, if you change the law, then we'll just have back alley abortions, right? Maybe, I don't know. Like, should we just change laws because people are going to do things illegally? Like, if you just legalize certain things right now, just legalize everything, um, then the things that are going to hurt society will happen more if you legalize them. There's anyway. Um, so do I think that the Supreme court is actually the first step? 100%, 110%. Yes. Because, and this gets into, you know, um, for me spiritually thinking about it, I do think that they're, you know, coming from, my worldview on it and understanding what I believe would be the spiritual influences on a nation um, is sacrificing babies. Okay. I'm sorry, killing babies or, you know, for the sake of the convenience of the parents. Um, that might sound harsh because you might be like, well, what if they were raped or what if they were this? That's first of all, that's considered a very small percentage. Um, but even with some of those things at times, like should killing the child in the womb 
I mean, millions of them, like nonstop. Should that be considered just okay in a society? Like at what point are we going to maybe a hundred years down the road when this thing really is off the table and it's not allowed anymore? At what point are we going to look back and be like, what the frick were we doing? Like, oh, we just went to the chop house and because the guy had a mask on his face um, and a license to do it and it was behind closed doors, it was sanitary. Like you go in the back alleys of those things and you say, well, we don't want back alley abortions. Well, where like those babies get tossed in the dumpsters in the back alleys and picked up. And a lot of them end up on black markets. Like literally our children are being sold on the black markets for their organs. And this gets into, you know, like some of some of the things that I've researched over the years as far as corrupt governments and um, child sex trafficking and all this stuff. Like it's all in the same thing. You know, you, you research the, the video Project Veritas put out three, four years ago of the lady literally negotiating um, the price of which organs to sell from Planned Parenthood and talking about the Corvette she was able to buy because of one of the sales she made. Like, freaking psycho. And this is what people are kind of getting behind. So, obviously, I'm very passionate about it. Um, and when I say psycho, I'm not talking about the people that vote for Democrats that they're psycho or something like that. I'm talking about just the idea. At what point do we look back and go, oh my gosh, that was like a terrible time that we literally lost an entire generation to, um, to convenience. And then secondly, we like, if you look at where these things are set up, just honestly, man, I think it's so maniacal how these abortion centers are set up mostly in low income communities and the black communities well, you know, the black community or the low income community or whatever you want, like where these places are set up, they can't, we've got to make it more accessible because they can't afford to have children. Like, bro, people can afford to have children. Like if they want to, everybody figures it out. I mean, you look at, you look at situations where people had all kinds of kids or people that even grow up and they're like, yeah, I was in a very poor household. Now I'm like doing this with my life and impacting the whole world. It's like, who are you to decide who should be who should be killed more by putting a place set up in their community so you got these 13 year old girls that have their minds haven't even developed enough yet to make wise decisions some people's minds never do but uh their minds haven't even developed enough to make per their own decisions you go yeah we don't need a parental consent you can just walk in here and like slaughter your child so that you can go back out with your boyfriend and just like get another one and come back in it's a business it's blood money it's actually money so much freaking money and it's pitched as caring and that's what it just pisses me off but um so that's that's at the end of the day man like a very strong driving force in my heart about it all um you know added to everything like all the other stuff is great i mean conservatism as far as like fiscal fiscally conservative. I mean, that, that stuff can be debated because we're in debt under every administration and this one, like we're in tons of debt too. And so it's, it's like, I'm not going to spend my time arguing those things necessarily. However, I do think it's kind of weird how Trump suddenly became a racist, although he was, I mean, he was not considered that before he started running for president. Yeah. There was the deal with the rent back in the eighties. And, you know, he talks about that. It, it, it wasn't about a color of people that he wouldn't rent to. It was about, um, he didn't rent to people that were on government assistance. So like, it literally didn't matter what color the person was. If they were on government assistance, he wouldn't rent to them because you don't know if that person would be able to even pay the rent. So people can have a difference of opinion on those things. The guy's just a businessman. Uh, but he's meeting with He's meeting with Lil Wayne, he's meeting with Kanye, he's meeting with all these people and like, you know, people are still just calling him a racist and stuff. So I think a lot of people are not buying that um, anymore. Uh, so anyway, man, that's kind of where a lot of my passion comes from it is on the abortion issue, but also the human trafficking issue. If you look at the the number of human trafficking or trafficking arrests, they've gone up under this administration. Um, people talk about, well, Trump was friends with Jeffrey Epstein. Like I did a whole, you know, 20 minute, uh, or two part 40 minute video series on this, on Trump and Epstein and the whole deal. So they can, people can go watch that on my YouTube channel if they want to. <laughs> but, um, 
But really, what's crazy is that Epstein was allowed to fly around the freaking world under the Bush administration and under, really under the Clinton administration, the Bush administration, and the Obama administration. He just flew around and had fun. And nobody even knew the guy's name. Yeah, some people that did their research knew his name, but the news didn't cover it. You know, based on Amy Robach's story with ABC, that they weren't allowed to cover it. She wasn't allowed to. They, they squashed the story. Like, back in, I think, early 2000s, some paper did some, like, great piece about Epstein, how he was this billionaire financier and said great things about him, although he's been also accused of this or this, but nothing, and it's just alleged, basically. But it was known. Even Cindy McCain, the husband, the wife of John McCain, told, said to everybody uh, a couple years ago, she said, oh yeah, we all knew that he was doing it, but nobody could do anything. Well, give me a break. Why, why could nobody do anything? This is just my opinion based on uh, research, and I'm not going to say everybody was involved, but why could a lot of people that could do something not do anything? Because they were probably compromised. There was probably information held over their heads. This guy was the greatest blackmailer in history, and he did not go down until Trump was in office. Why is that? Why was this guy trafficking our little girls all over the world, um, selling them to the highest bidder until Trump came in office? People are like, well, under Trump, he died, so that was so Trump wouldn't get in trouble. Okay, you could say that, but why Why would Trump not just let him keep running around if Trump was really implicated? And you can watch my 40-minute video on it. He's not implicated, but my whole point is some of the largest trafficking rings in the world, Nexum, uh, N-X-V-I-M, Nexum with Keith Rainier and Allison Mack, which hit the news for a short minute, um, but it should have been the biggest news on, on the planet for a while. Like, that entire trafficking ring got torn down and busted. And uh, that happened over this during this administration. Why have all of these huge trafficking rings that have been trafficking girls to elite people just been allowed to run around under all these administrations, under people that could have done something? And it took this administration that people call racist, sexist, rapist, terrible, misogynist. Why is he the one that's actually stopping our little girls from being sold, stopping our little boys from being sodomized with the political elites all over the world? Why is this guy the one that did it? So he might not be that bad. All right. Um, but anyway, um, that is the end of that rant. <laughs> Do you have something to say? Then consider being on the show. Go to contentioustalks.com slash guest and apply today. That's contentioustalks.com slash guest to apply. Now back to the show. Right on. Well, thanks for sharing all that with us, Blaze. Um, talking about your beliefs, where you're from, what you're, uh, what you're passionate about. I, I certainly appreciate it. The, uh, the next part is what I can only assume is everybody's favorite section. Uh, it's called the Tough 12. It's 12 questions. Everybody gets asked these questions. Uh, there's three different categories. The first is politics, the second is philosophy, and the last is personal and religious questions. You know I've thought of them all. Probably have. Um, first category here is politics. There's four questions again in each category. But what is a fair society? What is a fair society? That's a great question. Oh, I love that question. I have thought of it, but uh, man, that's a great question. So a fair society. Well, um, I think that the problem of fairness is uh, it's kind of like participation trophies in t-ball. Like it's kind of, it's okay for like five-year-olds, but for like major league baseball, it would be really silly. Like, um, I believe in, I believe there should be equal opportunity, uh, given to all, but on that same note, Ryan, if equal opportunity is given to all, then one generation within one sector of society may take great advantage of that opportunity, which will set them up to help the next generation in a way that's not fair. Does that make sense? For instance, uh, not to get political, but just it's just the example in my head. People say, well, Trump was given a million dollars from his dad, or I don't even know how much it was, but it was a lot. 
but that was based on the work of a previous generation. So should he not have that opportunity? Because should he not give his children that opportunity? You know, because he worked hard for it. Or um, so anyway. Back to your question. So I do believe an equal opportunity should be given to all. Um, I do believe that if, and this touches on my religious beliefs too, but I do truly believe that if the church was more unified around what truly mattered uh, when it comes theologically, like, you know, kind of like you said earlier, you're going to, um, you know, you have, without getting into the details, you have four pillars uh, that you believe if Christians would agree on these pillars that we could just like work together. I do believe that if the church was more unified, we would be more impactful for society and the church would actually, uh, charity is one of the greatest signs of the children of God. And I believe that, uh, you know, expecting the government or needing the government to do everything for your local community is really a problem that comes down to the fact that, um, individuals who want to who want to impact society there's not enough individuals that come together to impact society with charity that could actually change people's lives so um so anyway um a fair society a fair society i think that uh i think that the ideals of like communism or socialism sound so kind and nice but the problem is the lack of uh understanding of, of the human will or the, um, what, what you would call the, uh, the nature of man, the fallen nature of man. And, um, you know, you have to get theological. You just have to be logical. Just look around and be like, well, crap, when this guy's in charge, he killed thousands of people, you know, he put some laws together to kill thousands of people. Like if you, you know, the, the best, best society in my view, Ryan would be a, uh, a, a um, a uh, kind dictator, <laughs> a perfectly kind dictator. Um, and, and that's what will come, you know, in the kingdom to come. But currently we have no one and will not have anyone that could be uh, given that kind of responsibility. So I do think that the American constitution is pretty ingenious, the checks and balances system and all these things. Um, so I do think it's a pretty incredible you know, our society that we live in is pretty incredible. Unfortunately, um, there is a history of racism in our country. And even if people want to say like, oh, racism doesn't exist anymore. Like, like I get some of that because it's not like it was. Um, but racism does exist as a thing. It is a thing. There are still people that are racist. The majority of society, no. Um, are there systems that were set up under racist situations under more racist times, uh, as far as like zoning laws or things like this, or, um, even policing, are there things that were set up during times when there were, were more racists around that maybe were influenced by that? I think probably, um, don't get me wrong. I'm not a defund the police guy at all. And I think that it comes down more down to, uh, probably with the policing problem, it's probably more of a unions issue that some of these people actually can't get in trouble because of the police unions. Um, but I think policing as a whole is a very helpful thing for society. Um, which takes me to appreciating the, uh, you know, prison reform under the president right now, because I do think there's a lot of like minority men that are in prison for drug offenses that are just silly. Like, it's just silly. Like lifetime drug, lifetime, like a drug offense, you get a lifetime conviction. It's like psycho, you know? So anyway, um, but this, this is a big question, man. I think that, uh, equal opportunity, um, would be great, which, you know, I think the education system, um, is pretty flawed because I don't think it actually provides for equal opportunity. I think it sits people in chairs and diagnoses everyone that can't sit still as having ADHD and puts them on drugs, which allows, the pharmaceutical industry just to make a bunch of money. Um, and when I think education needs massive reform, I don't think it, it education system doesn't actually like build up the entrepreneur. Um, 
it actually kind of shuns the entrepreneur. The education system currently like makes everybody fall in line. Uh, but I think if there could be some reform in that and just, you know, and I don't know what that looks like, to be honest, so don't ask me that question. But I think that that could actually allow for, like, personal responsibility, I think is huge. But at the same time, Ryan, I do realize why people are liberals or why people are um, more socialist Democrats, because they look at situations where people um, are not taken care of or, you know, somebody is barely getting by and not getting by or not getting health care treatment or things like that at all. And they're going like, well, your solution is not working. You know, like that, like the personal responsibility solution doesn't work. So we need everybody to like be forced to take care of all of society or something. So I don't know what the solution is. I do think that our current system of government, though, as far as its founding, is pretty ingenious, and I think it can work very, very well, probably better than most societies. Um, but I do think that I do think that uh, the church unified and actually like following, you know, their calling of charity could actually impact the world in greater ways, um, or impact the nation in greater ways than we realize without having to put a bunch of laws or like. Um, government assistance and things like that. Um, so, and then I think education should empower people to get up on their feet. Um, when oftentimes the government just provides a handout and keeps people trapped and enslaved to that government. I think that there needs to be help in education. And I don't mean four years of college that doesn't necessarily take people anywhere. I just think that there could be help in education to get educational reform, to teach people how to lift themselves out of situations based on the gifts God's given those individual people. Uh, second question here under politics, Blaze. What is the number one issue facing society? Man, um, so, you know, this is, it, this is, uh, obviously you heard me share a lot about abortion um, when we got into that earlier. And obviously I'm very passionate about that. And this is going to sound like the right wing religious answer, but man, I'll be honest with you. Well, let me, let me broaden it a little bit. I would say, honestly, man, it is the deconstruction of the, of the family unit. Um, and that probably sounds like the right wing religious answer too, but I really actually believe it. And this is me going through a couple years of like, just again, trying to not be right wing and trying to open my mind to any and everything, um, politically different, you know, than, than what I was in. But the more I walk in this life and the more, as I have kids and as I have a family and I look and I'm like, the family unit is the most powerful thing in the nation and in any nation, honestly, a strong nation will be made up of strong families. And if you might say, well, here's, here's the situation. The family unit crumbles in a generation, the value of it first. Okay. The, the value of it has to crumble first. And as the value crumbles, less people will actually be inclined to want families. And um, I'm a big proponent of like have kids, you know, and I don't mean everybody's got to have 10 kids or anything, but like, but it's like the idea that, oh, like kids are going to ruin your life or, you know, like there's just this whole like idea out there that kids are a problem, but like you were a kid one time and now you're here and now you're doing life. Like, <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, like, I, I just, I really think that it's, uh, the devaluing of the family unit and that comes with, um, honestly, man, that comes with the abortion issue because it's devout. Like the problem with abortion is not that women are walking into abortion clinics and getting abortions. The problem with abortions is that men are boys and they don't know how to keep their pants up. Um, until they meet the woman that they're actually going to be willing to support and support the children. And like, um, I get that sex is fun, 
but like you have to be a responsible sexual human being. And that's the problem, which goes to education. I was listening to a podcast recently of a woman that used to be a full-time sex ed teacher within Planned Parenthood and she'd go out to schools and she said suddenly she got like red pilled as kids were asking about like what they, how to like give better blowjobs, like 13 year olds. And she was like, as she was talking, she was like, well, you know, and the girl was that saying, I don't really enjoy it, but I feel like I have to do it. She's like, well, if you don't enjoy it, you don't have to do it. And she just realized like all the kids suddenly were like, wait, we don't have to do these things. We don't have to like do this. It's like, no, you're coming in here and telling these kids, this is how you do things. This is how you have proper sex, like all kinds of sex, all, all kinds of different kinds, right? Like that's what's happening right now in our schools so that we create more irresponsible fathering, which creates more babies, which creates more abortions. Like it's literally the industry that's giving sex ed is giving the death blow to the babies that are created and it's putting money in people's pockets. I'm telling you, there's freaking CEOs and like there's people rolling in cash because of how many babies have been killed. And it's just fun and games for them. Like they're just making cash hand over fist. And so, but it's all goes down to the devaluing of the family unit and, um, you know, fatherlessness creates young boys that are also going to be, you know, not know how to be fathers. So I really feel like the biggest issue that we face as a nation, if we want to stick around for another hundred years and not be taken by a stronger nation or a stronger people is we have to actually have a strong, uh, male presence in society. And that goes against everything that's being shouted from the rooftops right now about the idea of a patriarchy. Um, we don't have a problem with the patriarchy. We have a problem with like men need to actually be men, which doesn't mean they domineer. It just means they walk in their strengths, which is to serve society, serve women. Okay. And some women, feminist women that like bothers them, like, like women can be strong too. It's just different. We're different people. I won't get into all that. Um, but men actually need to serve. And this is a, this is a big thing that I feel also about abortion, which again, at the end of the day, I'm going to keep coming back to, because that's probably my answer, Ryan, honestly, is that issue is, is at the crux of our humanity. It's literally, we wiped out an entire generation through abortion. Like how psycho is that? Like 50 million plus, like that's insane. Um, but I believe, you know, when women tell me, they say, you, you don't have ovaries, so you can't speak on behalf of this issue. I'm like, well, you don't have testicles and you didn't put the baby inside of you. Like, so like we all have a part in the, to play in this thing. Secondly, men are wired and maybe people can have opinions on this, but I truly believe this. Men are wired and designed. You, you just show me my kid in a moment screams, I'm there. Somebody like my kid feels threatened by a person. I will die for my child in a second. Right. And the men of a society, and I know, I know women will do that too, but there is a, that's why the men have always gone to battle historically. And I know there's stories, there's stories that differ on that, but historically majority men are, have gone to battle. They are, they will fight for their children. That is like something that's in us. And so when I, I sense this feeling inside of me, it was almost like, what is it? Proverbs 28, I think is what he says. Do not be silent, but speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. And if you say you didn't know, we know you knew. That's what Proverbs 28 says. Like, if you say you didn't know what was going on, we know you knew. And like, I, I see this generation of children being born right now. And we as men have to stand up and speak. And it's not telling women what to do, but it's telling them that we will support you. We will, we will do our part. We, we apologize for using you as our, as our sex toy 
just to get off and all of a sudden now you got a baby inside of you and we run off to another girl. We apologize on behalf of the men of an entire generation that were not trained properly, but we're going to take our step and take our part. Now you got now you should follow us in that and let's take care of these babies. Now let's take care of these kids. Let's defend these kids from the doctor's knife. And anybody that strongly disagrees with me on abortion, I just encourage you to go watch one. Just go watch a live abortion. Just go watch it. You can put it under the microscope. You can watch these things. Just go watch it and tell me you're good with that. Just tell me that's a, that's a good idea because that's what the men of our generation need to speak up against. We need to protect against this thing that's coming against our nation and against the children of our nation. And when we do that, Ryan, um, no, we're not going to get overpopulated. No, we're not going to get overrun. Actually, we might have some doctors that are born that create the cure for cancer. They, we might have some people that actually know how to create a fair society, but maybe we killed them too soon. So their calling has to go to the next baby. So maybe we shouldn't kill this next baby. Let's let these children live. Let's stop deciding for the individual life, whether they can live or die. Last question here under politics. What role should government play? At the end of the day, I, I think that, um, you know, in the preamble of the Constitution and uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, you know, that's, that's really, um, that's really the goal of our society, of our governing system, you know, of our government, of the, of the establishment of this nation. That was the goal. Now you can say that that's never happened or, but that was definitely written in the constitution. And I think it's a great premise. Um, like protect life. Number one, um, like, and even just practically like, you know, don't murder or you're going to go to jail or you'll actually get the death penalty for that. I think it's probably good to have harsh penalties for things like that so that people aren't walking around killing each other. There should be a little bit of fear. Um, you know, as much as we want to say, like people say, well, you know, they think an anarchist society is going to work out. It's really not. Um, if the law is in everybody's hands, I think it could be a problem. Um, so a governing body should actually help people live. Um, and, meaning protection. Now, when it comes to policing and things like that, I think it's a good idea to have a police force. Um, the problem in government and in anything like that is when corruption comes in and, you know, money becomes like a driving force for things. And I think, but I think honestly, in this age and this world, we're always going to struggle with that. And that's why it's a good idea to have systems like voting where you can vote people in, vote people out, and hopefully check and balance corruption. Um, to the best of your ability. But um, but yeah, I think that the government should uh, enhance life. Now, some people would say, well, okay, does that mean that the government should um, subsidize everybody's health care? Um, maybe. I actually don't think that, but I could see where that argument could come in when you say life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, but again, that goes back to having a more charitable people um, that can help and conserve. And if you want to really talk about healthcare, um, why has the food pyramid basically been preached to us upside down for the last like 75 years? Because in the industry that I'm in and in life insurance, I have to see people's meds and everybody is on diabetes meds. Why? Because back in the 50s, the government told people that sugar was good for you. Like how stupid is that? So anyway, there, I think there's a lot to be um, to be uh, reformed. So even when people say like, "Oh, we should government subsidize healthcare," it's like, well, does that actually make people more healthy? Or maybe we should come up with different programs that actually properly educate people um, to give them better lives. Um, so yeah. But that's a great question. I'll think more on it because um, I could probably just talk and talk and talk and talk out all my thoughts, but I'll probably stop there. Right on. You also touched on this a little bit, but what do you think happens after death? Man, there was a there was there was a time, like I said, where I was and this just comes down to compassion or what we would call human compassion. And honestly, I think God has compassion, so much compassion. Um, but it also like, th this comes down to me trying to like put this thing together with be like, well, God, you would never send anybody to hell. Like, why would you do that? Although I believed that for a very long time that he would, but then I just like questioned it. And then I just was like, 
why would you send somebody to hell? Why not just save them? Like, just, just save them. Like, you can. You are God. You are sovereign. Just save them. <laughs> right? Like, that's, that's kind of like where, uh, you know, and of course, God really listens to me. Like, oh, okay, cool. All right. Thanks. Thanks for helping me with that. that now I know I can save all of humanity. Thanks, boys. But, um, but really, though, those are my conversations. And in my mind, at least about it, it was just like, if, like, you are, I know you can do all things. And I also know that you desire that all men would be saved. So let's go. Um, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Didn't tell me that in the place where they bow that matters. So maybe they'll bow someday. Maybe they'll confess someday. Maybe all will actually do that. These are my, these are, this is me doing the math. If that makes sense. My, my sure. geological reasoning and math in my head. Um, and these are, these are things that real, that theologians think on and talk about and, um, which those things lead to a what I call Christian universalism, which says that ultimate, ultimately there's a there's a uh, view called ultimate re- reconciliation that ultimately God will that all things have been reconciled to Him through the body of Christ Jesus, and ultimately everything will experience that reconciliation at one point in time, um, and and meaning that all things w- must come to repentance eventually and even if that's passing through the fires per se to get rid of the dross so that they can ultimately be um, saved that was a view that I dug into and studied quite a bit and uh, I'll just be honest man I just I don't think that anymore and it's not like I ever like fully just thought for sure that's for sure because at the end of the day it's it these are things that are tough to know like I said though there is there is a truth about it. There is an ultimate truth about these things. Um, and we will all know someday, but, uh, um, I don't necessarily, I do think that there's a heaven and there's a hell. Um, and I do think that at least currently where I stand, man, I think we got one shot, you know, I think we got a shot on this life. And, uh, I think that it's more accessible to everyone than we would think um and i think god is just and i think that he is also merciful and i think that uh you know we have a part to play in sharing that truth i also think that he um anyway i think that he has yeah there's there's just these crazy things like you see even in the bible like i mean Paul the Apostle, I guarantee you, Saul, Saul of Tarsus had heard the gospel before because he was killing people that were preaching it. So he'd heard it, just never, never like gave into it. He's like, no. Then one day, like Jesus Christ showed up to him on a on a road, like, and was like, hey. So like, what's up with that? You know? And that's, I mean, that's the easiest way to become a Calvinist. You know what I mean? Like, just be like, well, there, there you go. Jesus did it. Like. Um, but anyway, like, again, though, for me, it's not, it's just not that easy. It's like, um, I don't know. I just know that at the end, what I believe is that, yes, we all will stand judgment for what we did in the body. I also know that his mercy is so great that simply believe and you shall be saved. So it's like, dude, that is a good deal. Like, I do believe believe that believing changes your life, but I don't believe that we should be looking around and be like, well, that guy's definitely not safe. You know what I mean? It's just like, look, I don't, I don't know how, I don't know what that looks like, but I do know that, um, I believe that, man, I believe Jesus took the wrath that was due to the world all on himself and for every single person. And I believe that his heart is open to every single person. And, uh, but I also, like I said earlier, that we have the power to become something that maybe we weren't meant to be. By so in the in the side of in the conversation about religion and spirituality, through rejecting the constant pulling of God's love for us and that call, I believe that we make decisions that cause our hearts to become even harder and cause our minds to shut off, and in essence, we become um, something anti-Christ that we were never meant to be. 
So I, I used to wonder, well, when people stand before Jesus and see how good and loving he is, they'll all just like say, oh my gosh, I surrender my life to you. But I don't think that's the case because as crazy as it seems like, you know, he's standing before us every day, speaking to us. His voice goes out into all the world. He speaks to the hearts of men all day long. And, um, and it's revealed through, through life, through nature, through the, the speaking of the whisper of the Holy Spirit to people's hearts. And I believe that we have the choice to push that away or to say, okay, God, just like work in my life and have your way in my life. So anyway, the end. Well, that's it, Blaze. It's the podcast. That's all the questions. It's everything I've got for you. Uh, thank you so much for your time and uh, your willingness to have a conversation with me, man. Definitely. Uh, last Enjoy thing, it. where can uh, where can people find out more about you? What's the best way to either get in touch or learn more about you, that type of thing? Best way is um, my Facebook page. It's a public page, uh, not public figure, but I have a public figure page, but that page, I never use it. Um, but my personal Facebook page, Facebook page is public. You can click follow um, and you'll see I, I post a lot on there. Um, my website, blazeforay.com, is I probably put out a blog once a week or so, once every couple weeks, um, sometimes daily when I'm going to stay really busy. But you can go on there. Um, and then, uh, yeah, those are probably the best, best spots. Instagram, I'm on Instagram too. Um, but if people want to get in contact, you can just shoot me a DM on Facebook or you can go into my website and there's a contact page. You can just reach out to me through there too. So awesome. Yeah. Thanks, please. Definitely. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Contentious Talks. Did you like this episode? If so, consider sharing this podcast with your friends and family. To get notified about new episodes, please be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to connect more, like Contentious Talks on Facebook. To support Contentious Talks and for more content, consider joining the Contentious Collective for as little as $1 a month. To do so, visit ContentiousTalks.com today. Contentious Talks is produced, hosted, filmed, and edited by Ryan Malinowski. Contentious Talks, copyright 2021, all rights reserved.